0: Record numbers of deaths, more resignations of key personnel and little sign of any improvement on the horizon. Where next for Bolsonaro's Brazil? Bottega Veneta issued social media a while ago and is now launching an online magazine in pursuit of a more thoughtful approach to content, with leading sportsmen and women this week also pledging to quit toxic platforms. Are we at a crossroads? And our New York City correspondent looks to nature for some inspiration. Monocle's editors tackle those topics today on the late edition here on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to The Late Edition. This Friday evening, here on Monocle 24 with me, Tom Edwards, joining me here in Studio One of Midori House. I am delighted to say we have both Marcus ippi
1: Good evening, Tom. And, of course,
0: Fernando Gusebceko.
1: Happy Easter, Tom.
0: <laughs> uh, indeed, it's Easter weekend. We shall come to that, Faye, uh, a little later. What about some thoughts on the week uh, just gone, Faye? We're going to talk about your homeland in just a second. Marcus, how was this week for you? I saw you beaming earlier in the week and you had your dicky bow on looking very smart you you've been recognized
1: i understand in the last in the last week or so oh how funny that you mentioned that so i actually yeah i, I, I have to, i've been recognized i have to say the menu has been recognized steve and so the menu has won the so-called taste award pioneer award which is recognition for us having done that show for almost 10 years uh, and pioneer it's not about pies. It's about a pioneering <laughs> approach, isn't it? Exactly. I, I i think it's good to remember always that when we launched Monaco 24 radio station, you know, doing podcasts in this scale wasn't a big thing. And, like, you know, there was none of this hype around podcasts. So well done, us. We all have been here for almost 10 years now.
0: Uh, well done, you, Marcus. And uh, you, you're wearing it very well, let me just say that. Um, but let's kick off the program, Fernando, by crossing to you. And we have to talk about Brazil. And listen, We spoke, I think, about two weeks ago, and you were tracking this pretty sort of negative spiral of news. We spoke again earlier this week. And now at week's end, I think we should reflect on the week that was, and indeed the month that was, because in March, we've seen uh, death figures from COVID more than double, I think I'm right in saying, the previous record. We had the military departures, which we spoke about before, bank officials leaving, The, the kind of tenuous grip that Bolsonaro had seems to be loosening and the country just feels like it's unravelling at the moment.
2: I mean, is that a fair characterization? I guess, first of all? It is very fair, Tom, and it is a, such a difficult period for Brazil. I mean, I think, you know, since I start covering all things Brazil, i never seen a situation like this because it's combining so many factors. Uh, and I think one of the worries that I think is quite important as well, because as you know, in the past, Brazil perhaps might not have been the biggest political force worldwide, but we had kind of that image of soft power, of lightness, of good relationships, All across the world, to be honest, I mean, uh, you know, from countries in Africa to countries in Europe. But that is changing. And even our neighbors are are quite scared. I mean, just this news, uh, I have recent news that, for example, Chile and Bolivia, they're closing all their borders to Brazil and flights because they're scared of the variant as well. And Bolsonaro doesn't have a relationship with most of those leaders as well. So it, it is quite quite, quite tough to see that and we still have more than a year to go into the next election. Uh, yeah, very worrying times.
0: Uh, and tell me a little bit, because we've spoken before about the legacy of, of course, the military dictatorship that came to a close in the, in the mid-1980s. Bolsonaro's relationship with the military and, and, of course, because of this change in personnel it is really intriguing. And he had won a lot of popular support, let's be clear, from saying it should be commemorated, the the dictatorship. And he's very clear. He's a sort of pro-military nationalist. We know that that's what he is. But the, the way that the military and the role that it's played and the backdrop of that dictatorship is very complex in, in Brazil. R- remind our listeners who maybe aren't so familiar with it why it makes the line that Bolsonaro walks and these dynamics that we've seen put in sharp focus this week
2: so... So interesting. Uh, it's interesting, Tom, because the chiefs of the military in Brazil, the all the generals, they're not necessarily pro Bolsonaro because, you know, the military took a long time to get gain respect from Brazilians again after the dictatorship uh, you know this, some sometimes actually before the Bolsonaro government civilians were our uh, defense ministers instead of generals uh, so the military they're quite uneasy with Bolsonaro's authoritarian plans and I don't see a risk of Brazil stopping a democracy or anything like that but the risk I do see it's the chaos that he can implement I mean look what happened in the United States early January this year this could happen next year uh, next year in, in the Brazilian election. I really don't doubt that if Bolsonaro doesn't change its attitudes. And I think for a country like Brazil, that would be devastating. I mean, it was devastating for the US, but we are perhaps in a weaker position uh, Fin- economically, I would say as well. So there are the worry is there and, and, and it can happen. Uh, and if we talk, Marcus, about the costs uh, that, that are, lie ahead from Brazil in, in
0: continuing down this, this path, it's interesting, Faye reflected there on this soft power damage. And, you know, Brazil is a country that had a very positive sort of global, um, it was viewed very positively globally. Now, the Finns are not unlike this. The Finns are the happiest nation in the world. Of course, we learn statistically quite often. But the Finns seem to be quite mindful of that. And they're quite defensive. And they don't maybe want to do anything that would jeopardise the way Finns and Finland are perceived around the world. They must look in sort of astonishment at how Brazil is doing all of this damage kind of to itself.
1: I think there are many lessons to learn learn from from Brazil looking at what's been happening over there with the leadership and how this COVID-19 situation has been handled not very well at all. I think it's also, obviously, I had to make the point, that obviously, you, you know that Finland has been once again ranked the happiest nation in the world, as you would guess, knowing me in the office in, in social yeah. situations. <laughs> but but in any case, uh, I think it's interesting, you know, looking at the, the situation in Brazil and also kind of comparing that to what's happening in Finland. Obviously, you know, it's what's happening in Finland is nothing compared... Comparable, But when I was listening to Fernando explain the situation and looking at Jair Bolsonaro's position, for example, I was thinking that there's, there's not many leaders in the world at all who would have fared very well. Even in Finland, in the beginning of the pandemic, we thought the Prime Minister, Sanna Marin, is doing a really good job. And The number of COVID-19 infections has been in in steady increase in Finland. It's not very bad yet, but it's clear that the government will need to do something. And that's when people are beginning to express their dissatisfaction with our prime minister, because it doesn't look like she's actually doing enough. One reason for this is that the Finnish system is a bit different. So the politicians, they have to make sure before they... Introduce any laws. They have to make sure that these new laws are constitutional, which leads into this awkward debate that may take four weeks before any actual decisions are made and before any changes happen. But in any case, it's been interesting to follow what's happening in Finland, how there's more and more dissatisfaction about Prime Minister Sanna Marin. You know, in the very beginning, she was almost idolized. She's one of the youngest leaders in Europe, a female leader. And just a couple of weeks ago, there was a documentary about the last 12 months of Finland and COVID. one scene that was about 15 seconds long. It showed Sanna-Marie, the Prime Minister, arriving for a television interview at the Finnish Broadcasting Company and she's greeted outside by, by one of their reporters. And, and she comes across a bit rude. She doesn't say hello. She just walks in. She seems a bit stressed. She goes to, to the green room to wait to be interviewed on television and the journalist tries to speak to her and she doesn't really respond. And the public reaction was that she's rude and she's not nice and we don't like that and that's really really off but at the same time i've been working on television and i know i've been speaking to many colleagues who point out this thing that when you are a leader you go to a live television interview people have different ways of focusing and you don't want to do chit chat with someone just seconds before you're due to go on television and talk to the nation
0: because then a big inquisitor you know someone a, a young marcus hippie (laughs) <laughs> might sort of point both barrels at you in the TV studio. I and know, then be you, don't no want,
1: you don't want any fanboys or girls around you before you go and talk about what's happening in the country.
2: But uh, it's so interesting to hear from Marcos that, you know, because I, we do have this image in Brazil, oh, the Finnish leader, she's considered like an example against COVID. And it's true. I mean, during this so, such a difficult year we had, it's hard to be a good leader indeed. And I think the thing with Bolsonaro is that not only the mishandling of the pandemic, but, but, you know, it's just the moral side of things, and mm. he's com- completely disregard to people's lives, I mean, from the things he said. So, it's not just the technical side. I think the moral side of things count on that as well. Mm. Certainly do. Well, let's change tack and change pace somewhat, and talk
0: a little bit about the world of fashion. Bottega Veneta deleted its social media accounts a few months ago. We talked about that on Monocle 24. It's now launched an online magazine called Issue, in pursuit of a more thoughtful and considered way to communicate. Well, earlier this morning on our programme, The Globalist. The retail expert and brand consultant Rebecca Tay had this for us.
3: Daniel Lee, who's the British creative director, who's been there for a couple of years now, he's really sort of led the brand into this new um you know, amazing period that it's going through. You know, everyone wants a piece of Bottega, you know, the intrecciato, those woven, the beautiful woven leather goods um, are on every influencer. Um, So it was quite a surprise when they deleted their social media accounts, um, especially given that Instagram is seen as, you know, it's overtaken magazines, for example, um, or some believe that it's taken over magazines as kind of a main source of fashion media. Um, But now... Just on Wednesday, they released their own digital magazine, Um, and he was saying that it's basically a more thoughtful, more considered way uh, to put out content. He um, was really kind of against the homogenization of culture that he thinks that social media is, Um, and it'll be a quarterly magazine, so it'll only be online. Um, It's. You know, everything from photography to videos to uh, voiceovers, there's actually no text. um, So it's interesting whether or not that's, you know, a way to appeal to a global market without having to translate content potentially. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's quite beautiful, uh, but it's definitely an interesting move. He is insisting that it's not a marketing ploy and it's just really his own personal standpoint for where the brand should be.
0: Rebecca Tay talking to the globalist earlier Fernando it's interesting we've seen moves a little bit like this but where brands try to react and it's always you're always slightly suspicious when they say that it's nothing to do with marketing <laughs> that it must almost be but you know a reaction against this sort of homogenization of culture and the homogenization of fashion brands online um it's an interesting move and i guess we should welcome any attempt to be more thoughtful and considerate in the ways that
2: any organisation communicates, right? Absolutely. I think Bottega Veneta in this case, I think they realised that you know, perhaps their customers, they're not gaining so much with their social media presence. I mean, uh, I, I think they know very well their co- the customers. They're, thinking really very powerful brands who know very well who are they talking can do something like that. And it's quite interesting to see, you know, perhaps their clothes show in a more kind of creative way. I had a look at some of, of, the, of the pictures and the visuals from this magazine. It looks really interesting and, and has the involvement of uh, Missy Elliott, the rapper, which is a really interesting person uh, as well. Uh, again, I'm, I, I'm not saying I think so, social media still has its value, but brands are learning that, you know, they don't want to be kind of in an influencer kind of social media mm-hmm. and the same influencers wearing bags from all sorts of brands. I mean, so they can't really be trusted. And so and, and one thing that I noticed very, very quickly on that, some brands and some department stores, they are doing more and more magazines, in fact, more than just advertising on social media. And can I tell you something? It works. I, I receive sometimes some magazines for certain brands that I like, and it kind of makes me want to buy some. Of their products because you know you receive like a nice little package at home, they send to a select group of customers. I think it's a very wise and clever mood.
1: I have to say that I've never really understood why so many luxury brands want to be so present online and on social media, considering that it's very much about exclusivity. And it's not exclusive if it's all over the place. I think, you know, you should coordinate the message you want to send. You should have it limited somehow, make it as good as possible and not to share it to everyone. And it's so much about sharing it, making it so widely available that it, I think I think it makes a brand lose its value often. Uh, well, and I guess there's this point that you almost dilute the power of your of your message
0: with so many eyeballs and so much exposure, and I guess Fernando, just a last thought, you know, you're looking after the stack from week to week. It's more great print material. This doesn't even have any words. We heard for Rebecca talking there, but I think a beautiful magazine, even if it's just there purely for you know aesthetic reasons. It's, it's something that's worth worth looking at. You'd encourage I guess people to send in such things. Submit them to the stack and you can review them on the program. Well, right? in fact, I
2: did think about the stack when I heard about uh, issues here from uh, from Bottega Veneta. I think it's such an interesting project. Who knows, maybe they can do something print as well, you know, it's, I think it would be very powerful.
0: Uh, well, let's uh, stay with one of my favourite, most sort of esoteric uh, print offerings, the humble postcard. It's time for a postcard from New York City. Uh, this week, our intrepid Henry Rhys-Sheridan looks to the natural world for some inspiration.
4: Cast your mind back to 2004. I've put together... An American cable news montage to help you. And the word is in. Just now,
5: we want to go right to Bill Plant, who is at the White House. The word is from the White House that John Kerry has called President Bush and has conceded this election. Bill, what do you know? And then in Watertown, Massachusetts, Mark Zuckerberg, creator of of Harvard's the Facebook.com, Mark. If somebody was to put the question to you about the the magnitude of what you think you've launched, how big do you think your product or your service is? Well, it's impossible to tell. When we first launched, we were hoping for, you know,
4: maybe 400, 500 people, and now we're at 100,000 people. So, who knows where we're going next? Um, We're hoping to have many more...
5: It's called Magic Cicada, the Magic Cicada, because it performs an astounding feat disappearing for many years in a regular cycle, and then suddenly reappearing in unbelievably huge numbers. This spring, the largest group of periodical cicadas, called Brood 10, has emerged for the first time in 17 years and is overwhelming portions of the East and Midwest, from the Mississippi to the mid-Atlantic coastline. No one can say exactly how many there are estimates range as high as 10 trillion, perhaps the largest insect emergence on earth.
4: In 2004, I was 13. My interest in US presidential politics and incipient social media were limited. But my interest in bugs was unlimited. Every evening during the spring of that year, my family's dial-up modem would screech, and I would use Microsoft Internet Explorer to read the latest blog entries tracking cicada sightings around the eastern seaboard of the United States. As I lay in bed at night, I would entertain vivid fantasies of dancing among the cicadas of Brood 10. But the next opportunity to do so seemed impossibly far away.
5: Cicada mania is expected to last until the end of June, when the brood ten adults are all dead and countless little nymphs are tunnelling back into the ground to await their next appearance in 2021.
4: 2021 no longer seems impossibly far away. In fact, it's right now. And I'm in New York, one of the brood ten states. The bugs are set to emerge in the next few weeks. Also set to emerge in New York within the next few weeks are people. This week, eligibility for coronavirus vaccinations opened up to New Yorkers aged 30 and older. And on April 6th, all New Yorkers over the age of 16 will become eligible. Right now I feel a lot like a Brood 10 nymph. I too have been in hibernation for an odd number of years, one to Brood 10's 17. I too have spent that time subsisting exclusively on nutrient-poor plant tissues to meet my minimal biological requirements. And I too have been completely deprived of light in my hibernation measuring time through the perception of hormonal changes in tree roots that correspond to natural freeze and thaw cycles above the ground. Considering how similar our lives have been in hibernation, I wonder if the cicadas have any tips for how I might conduct myself once I've emerged. They build a tunnel or an escape chimney out of the ground. These will be
2: anywhere from 8 to maybe 12 or 18 inches deep. They're simply waiting for the soil temperature to reach the mid-60s. That's an indication that it's going to be warm enough for the adults to get up out of the ground, move into the vegetation, molt, fly, mate, sing, and complete the biological imperative.
5: The adult cicadas die quickly. Soon after, they're done with their mating and breeding duties. So, 17 years underground, four to six weeks above, and it's over.
4: Hmm. I'm not sure what lessons, if any, I can draw from this. In all probability, the cicadas have less time to fill than I do. And they seem to have a much clearer idea of how they should spend it. In any case, I want nothing but the best for the Cicadas of Brood 10, and I look forward to sharing the surface of the earth with them very soon. To conclude, a brief political update. Probably the most powerful kingmaker in New York politics at the moment is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or AOC. As a second-term congresswoman, AOC doesn't have much formal power. But she's so popular that all the candidates she's endorsed in elections so far have experienced a massive boost of popularity among progressive voters, giving her enormous clout. This is especially true in New York races. AOC hasn't endorsed a mayoral candidate yet, but she has weighed in On a different race that's going on at the same time. That's the race for city comptroller. In simple terms, the comptroller oversees the city's public spending. Their most important job is considered to be managing the city's public pension funds, the largest in the world at over 224 billion US dollars. This week, AOC endorsed a comptroller election candidate called Brad Lander. Lander is facing a tough race against the City Council Speaker, Corey Johnson. The outcome of the comptroller election will be seen as a measure of AOC's informal power. If her preferred candidate prevails in a tough competition, it will make her endorsement even more potent. In the meantime, The candidates in the mayoral race will be courting her with all the avidity of a male brood 10 cicada. These are very romantic arthropods. The males will chorus, and this basically helps the different
2: species of cicada to go to the same trade. Once they're sorted out by species, he will shift over to a series of courtship songs, which basically try to convince that special someone that he should be the father of her nymphs.
5: You can hear the differences in these three examples, as the male sings a distinct song to attract females of his own species.
0: That was Monocle's very own romantic arthropod, Henry Rhys Sheridan, reporting from New York City. I don't know how many, if any, nymphs he's fathered this past season... Probably best not to speculate, so let's move on. Uh, Finally, uh, let me get some weekend thoughts, reflections, if you will, uh, on this Easter weekend that is almost upon us. It's Good Friday evening, of course. Uh, Marcus and Fernando, I thought while you were both here, um, well, I might ask you first of all, what what's the what's the big Easter tr- traditions? We always do this around Christmas time, don't we, Faye? And we ask about what's the foods, what's the things to do. Remind us. We've probably trodden this path
2: before, but it's intriguing to me. Um, back home in the motherland, what goes on this weekend? Well, in in my house, always. I mean, Easter eggs. Don't worry, I know. Every country has its Easter eggs. But I've been telling you for, more t- for almost a decade now that the Brazilian Easter eggs, they are beautifully packaged. And if you go to a supermarket, that's my main favourite thing about Easter. They are kind of on the top of... of they're on the roof of all supermarkets. It, it just looks incredible. And they are bigger as well, aren't they? They are big and, and they are round and they are not in a box. Round because, eggs? No, no, no. <laughs> what
1: but, is that? <laughs> let me just
2: defend. Here in the UK, they usually come in a box. I don't know for whatever reason, of course. To when protect you- the egg to Protect the egg, but it's so much prettier when it's kind of it has this kind of festive colors instead of just being kind of in a boring box.
1: That's my thought of the day. We have our own Easter eggs as well, they're called Mingnon eggs, and they're actual eggshells that have been filled with chocolate. But you're not meant to eat the shell because there's been some accidents.
3: (laughs) If I didn't know, I would eat, (laughs) I'd probably just pile
0: straight in. Now, Marcus, I know that you were telling me earlier about some other. Uh, Easter traditions that go on in, in mm. the motherland. This sounds quite scary and it's got a kind of Halloween Ish. quality to yeah. it. Can you,
1: can you explain? So Easter itself is, is, is pretty same. It's Easter eggs and, and lamb. But actually... Actually, um, it's it's Palm Sunday, so it's been it's this past Sunday, when you get children dressed up as witches, boys and girls dressed up as witches, knocking their neighbours' doors, asking for candy, and if they get candy, then they will perform this spell that wishes you good luck for the future. And this is something I, I, I've never been a massive fan of, so quite often these Sundays I've switched off the lights and just, I've been hiding somewhere, and I've locked the doors to make sure I don't need to deal you're with these kids. You're such an old curmudgeon, you're like the stay, Grinch. You're the Grinch who stole Trying to stay away from them. Yeah, I'm not a fan of this. What's, but the, what's it's the big wi- thing? It's what's a big thing in many families. What about what is the witch's spell, Marcus? I
0: I feel I should ask you. Do so, you remember it? So I, I,
1: I had to find this from online because I didn't remember the words. I have them now in front of me. But if I translate them first, it's in English. It says. I'm wishing you a fresh, healthy upcoming year. A branch for you, a prize for me, and and what this branch, by the way, it is it is um it's it's a gift you get. It's been decorated with colourful feathers and all oh, that, so it's, it's lovely, beautiful. Yeah. These gifts come over in Finnish, obviously. In case you're wondering, it is virvon varvon tulevaks I was trying to make Fernando do this as well. I You've said been almost; it. it was quite close. Do you want to have a bunch, version? Fernando?
2: Of course. Uh, Beautiful. Very good. That <laughs> sounded like something from Harry Potter, if
0: I'm t- t- perfectly honest. Now does that, that, will that bring bad luck upon us, Marcus? I no, know it's I meant
1: think. to bring good luck. It's not okay. it's not a spell raising the evil and the dead. Don't worry about that. It's oh God. it's all very positive. Good. Yes. But uh, if you go to Finland in Easter, if you if you see these kids dressed up weirdly, um, Stay away from them. They just want your candies. <laughs>
0: OK.
2: You look very scary.
0: <laughs> sage say. advice. They're absolutely terrifying looking. Do Google it if you want to discover that for yourself. Fernando, we should say people often tune in on Fridays to Monocle 24 because they want eh, maybe a soundtrack to the weekend ahead. And we should explain to people that there's a soundtrack available not just for this weekend, but here for every weekend, the global countdown that you preside over magisterially
2: every week. It's kind of going into overdrive. Tell us more. It's been a very happy week, Tom, because as you know, we, I do this segment uh, usually with Andrew Muller. Sometimes I even did with you in the past as well, where I look at the top five singles of, you know, any country in the world. I went to Togo, Pakistan, Papua New Guinea. I mean, I'm very open-minded. Uh, and uh, But now, if you go to the monaco.com website... It's, it's its own show, and we have our own tie, which looks beautiful. Uh, it looks like a poster of the Olympics in the 80s, which makes sense because, you know, the global countdown is the Olympics of music. Uh, and this week we started with Japan, which is always a delight. I mean, if you like some J-pop, I wonder, you know. Uh, there's a band called Sexy Zone there. They are doing very well. Sexy Zone. Sexy mm. Zone. And the song is called Let's Music.
1: I don't know what makes... I don't know the grammatical... You haven't done Finland reason. for quite some time. I'm wondering, if there's Finnish pop music, would it classify as F-pop? <laughs> that, that, that's an interesting <laughs> one. It might do.
0: And is is the region around Sillenjarvi officially a sexy zone? Do we know? Probably, yes. You haven't been there yet. <laughs> Marcus, will you be drawn on that as a last hurrah?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's worth That checking. was
0: unconvincing, to say the
1: least. <laughs> I think we better wrap it up there. Uh, Marco
0: Sippi, Fernando Augusto Pacheco, thank you both very much indeed for joining us here on The Late Edition. Uh, thanks to to all of our editors today and, of course, to our studio manager, Louis Allen. Uh, we'll be back at the same time on Monday. Do be sure to find out more about all of the wonderful things Monocle has to offer. As Fernando said, head to monocle.com to find out more. Goodbye. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks for tuning in.